So he's back, back, back again for another episode of Psych on the Mic. <laughs> Yo, what up, bruv? <laughs> oh, dear. It's been a hot minute. That's going to be like my new thing every time I start an episode. It's been a hot minute. Um, Hi, how are you? I know you can't answer that, but how are you? Um, you can tell me how you are. I just can't hear the answer, but you can still say how you're going. Yeah. Um, so it is episode number five, I think. No, six. <gasps> Crazy. Where has the time gone? Um, so this episode, um, I'm going to talk about anxiety. Yeah. So I think thought I would start with, again, reading from my book. <laughs> so cool that I can do that. Still pinching myself. Um, and I thought it was good timing because I'm like actually in the mood to do this today. Um, sometimes I feel like I really have to like force myself to do it. But today I was like, I really feel like doing a podcast episode tonight. So here I am. Um, my voice might sound a little shaky cause I was just singing <laughs> and, um, yeah, sometimes that happens. Like I've just been like projecting my voice. So it goes a little bit croaky and croaky. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not getting sick. Touch wood. All right. So, um, ironically, the process of writing a book about my first experiences, as a psychologist, scared the hell out of me. Um, mostly because I felt like it completely exposed my vulnerabilities by putting it in writing. Um, like all of my inner struggles and experiences. It was like, oh my goodness, like it's one thing saying it and people hearing it, but it's another thing to write it down. And then it's like in print and people can read it more than once and share it. And I guess in some ways it's a bit like the podcast too, because like once this is online, it's kind of online forever. Um, and people can listen to it and listen to it again and anyone can listen to it. So yeah, that's kind of scary. Like, yeah. Anyway, it's not a good enough reason to not do it though. Right. <laughs> um, I feel like though not sharing my story would have been doing psychology students a disservice um, or any students for that matter, but particularly psych students, because it's like, no, I need to write that stuff down because if someone else can pick up my book and read it and be like, oh my goodness, you too, that then I've done my job. Work here is done. So I did a little bit of research before I wrote my book and I discovered no one had actually written a book like it before. Not that I found. So I'm really sorry if you're out there and you're like, I wrote a book the same because I couldn't find your book. Maybe you can't find my book and maybe we both need to advertise. But anyway, I thought, what the heck, I'm going to write this damn book. So um, I suffer. I don't like using that term, but technically do. 
Um, I suffer from quite severe generalized and social anxiety. Um, took me cook, took, 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 cook, cook. <laughs> it took me a while to come to terms with that. Um, like probably not until I was in my twenties did I actually acknowledge it. Probably not. Yeah. Maybe even late twenties. Crazy. I think I always knew I was a little anxious, but not the extent of it because when you experience something like anxiety for such a long time, you kind of just think it's you, like it's your personality, but no, just anxiety. Um, so people out there might be asking, but how? Like you're a psychologist, surely you know how to deal with something as simple as anxiety. Well, my friends, I have something to tell you. Um, I'm actually human. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was a surprise to me too. I thought it was an alien. Um, no, I'm actually human, okay? Just like you. And you know how most of us are the worst at taking our own advice. Well, psychologists also fall into that category. <laughs> Just an FYI. Um, not to mention as well... Well, I'm mentioning it, but a huge component of our mental health is genetic. And this fact, I actually take a fair amount of comfort in because it's like, oh, there's only like so much I can do. There's only so much that I've like not created, but yeah, like can contribute to, you know, because I think there's a certain level of it that you kind of play in your own head um, and you repeat certain thoughts and then that makes you more anxious. But given the foundation of it is pretty genetic in my eyes, that's my opinion based on my studies. Um, it's oddly comforting because it's like, oh, cool. Like I'm not just effed up. I'm actually like a product of biology and biological processes. Anyway, what it means is that a lot of our mental experience, thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations are actually somewhat outside of our control. And it's something we're just born with, just like our eye color. And my anxiety is something I am actively working on. But as a psychologist, I know the reality is that I will always have my anxiety and over time, I can learn to be more tolerant and allowing of it straight from the book. Um, doesn't mean I'm always tolerant and allowing of it, however. <laughs> Hell no. Um, sometimes I can be really mean to myself about my anxiety and be like, why are you anxious? Stop freaking out. There is nothing to worry about. Cut it out. And that's really not helpful. Generally makes me more anxious. Um so anxiety is something I experience every day in my job as a psychologist in every session. And I'm not just talking about the first session with a client or with clients that are anxious themselves or clients that intimidate me. I'm talking about every single session. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Um, if you're a client of mine out there listening to this, I just want you to know that, yes, I may still get anxious in our sessions. However, it's because I care and I want to do a really good job. So it's not for those of you I've had for a long time. And it tends to really settle down after the first session 
first session, you always want to make a good impression. Ha, that rhymed. Um, So generally, it's just like one or two sessions and then it settles to a level that's manageable enough that it's not, I guess, taking over. Um, And look, this has definitely decreased over the years. but Not as much as I thought it would. It's still there on the daily. And like I said earlier, it's just something I have to learn to live with. A part of me questions why my clients um, keep coming back if they notice my anxiety, because surely they see it like they're pretty clever. And I may appear confident, but I stutter over my words sometimes or my mind might go blank or I don't say the right thing. And I think surely they can see straight through me. And they keep coming back time and time again. And then I think, well, I must be doing something right. And maybe it's the fact that I'm anxious that keeps me coming back because they see a part of themselves in me or they see I'm human and I don't try to hide it. And like I said before, my anxiety is me caring. And without it, maybe I wouldn't care as much. I don't think we'd care about anything if we didn't have a bit of anxiety which brings me to my little anxiety spiel that I do with most of my clients um given that a lot of my clients experience anxiety um and the first thing I talk about is the fight flight freeze and fawn (laughs) but you didn't know about that fourth one the fight flight freeze and fawn response Easy to remember because they all start with the letter F. Um, Most of you would be familiar with fight or flight. Like that's a really common thing to be heard, like fight or flight mode. And it's generally because we get like an adrenaline response through our bodies from some kind of stimulus. And it's often a stimulus that evokes fear in most people. For example, public speaking, spiders, sharks, heights, you name it. Those are probably some of the top phobias people have. Others not maybe not so common. Um, and look, we have this in us for a reason, helps us to survive. Um, I always love to give the example of snakes because most people don't like snakes. I think I've maybe met one or two amazing young people that are like, oh, I actually like snakes. And I'm like, no way. And they're like, yes way. And I'm like, well, just think about the typical response to a snake, right? So you're out in the bush and you see a snake and like most people will freak out a little. They'll go, oh. Like you'll do that sharp intake of breath and you'll be like, oh, what do I do now? Right now, if that snake is like a beautiful diamond python or, you know, a placid breed of snake, whatever that may be, and is just kind of slithering along the ground or up in the tree and it doesn't even really know you're there, like you're probably going to freeze and just wait for it to move on, right? Most of us will do that. That's like the most common response for a snake. It's minding its own business. We watch it. We see where it goes. And then we move on. Right. The second most common response is to run away. Now, that's not really going to hurt anyone. I don't know if you knew this, but snakes can't hear. 
they can feel vibrations, but they can't actually hear. They don't have ears. I think that's right. <laughs> Sorry to any biologists out there. Um, so, yeah, anyway, you can run away. And particularly if the snake is a deadly snake and it's like about to attack you. I once came across a tiger snake in year five, maybe six. I was on a school camp down at good old, um, I feel like it was Janolan Caves. Janolan or Wombi in one of those. But I went to those caves more times than I can count when I was a kid. Awesome. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> Tangential. Um, tiger snake on the path out the front of the like kiosk shop. I jumped over the like garden bed, like around the snake to go inside the shop to tell the people there was a snake on the path. Mind you, this snake was a tiger snake. It was up in a strike position. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh my God, snake, I better tell people. Instead of like just removing myself from the danger, I thought I'll put myself in danger to alert other people of the danger. Anyway, nothing happened. I didn't get bit by the snake, but not the best, um, (laughs) not the best approach. Most people would just run. All right. So anyway, in hindsight, I know I should have run, but I put the other people's, I guess, um, safety in front of my own, which is not what you should do. All right. Remember what they say on the plane. You need to put your oxygen mask on first before you help anyone else with theirs, including children. How are you going to help your child to breathe if you can't breathe yourself? Exactly. Anyway, back to my snake story. So the most common second response is to run away, right? So if you've got a snake approaching you, it doesn't look too friendly, you're probably best to leg it out of there. Now, approach number three is fight. Now, I don't think many of us are going to fight a snake. Unless it's like, I guess, biting someone we love or a pet or something. I don't know. Or it's in our chicken coop. I'm going to wrap it up in a stick and throw it out of there. But generally, we're not going to fight it. I know there's a few brave men out there who think, yeah, I'm going to fight this snake. I want to show it who's boss, you know. Go all Steve Irwin on the snake. He wouldn't kill a snake. That's silly. But anyway, he... Might play with it. (laughs) Um, Anyway, the point being, that's probably the least likely response. Um, You've then got fawning, which I don't feel like is relevant in the snake example, but fawning is where we... I'm just going to look up an example because I can't. Um, oh, good example. Okay. My dogs are really cheeky and sometimes they get in trouble. My female dog, Maisie, the white one, she will like come up to us. So say she's in trouble and she'll be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She'll tuck a little tail under and a little head down and she'll be like, I'm so sorry. And she'll just want pats and cuddles. That's a prime example of fawning. They're like, apologizing by appearing like really passive and sorry and like affectionate if that makes sense um so if you can think of people in 
potentially like a domestic violent situation, that can be a part of their survival instinct. So they might not run away, they might not fight back, and they might not just freeze. They might actually try to get the other person on their side by fawning. So like, like I'm so sorry I did the wrong thing. Like I'll cook dinner or I'll clean the house. Or they'll just like make up for the wrongdoing of the other person as a survival tactic. I hope that makes sense. Anyway, I'm still getting my head around that one and I realised you spell it with a W, not a U. Anyway, note yourself. So those are the four examples, four responses, I should say, to anxiety. Um, Now, one of the games I love to play with my young people in session is Eloise... Hayes um, example and it's from her book DNA V which is let me just do a little Google I love recording these episodes just like raw because again just want to show you I'm human don't you love that you can hear me typing it's so like organic as my friend Ava would say, totes organic. Yes. Um, so Louise Hayes designed this really cool model um, based on acceptance and commitment therapy called DNA V. And it's a young people, young person model for mindfulness. And the letters DNA V stand for discoverer, noticer, advisor, and V stands for values. Basically, without going too much into the model, and more than happy to do an episode on that at another time, because I actually wrote a song about it, and it's on her website, FYI. If you type in DNAV Louise Hayes, um, pretty sure it's on there, and you can hear me sing, FYI. I'm also on Spotify. Yeah, true story. Um, cool. So, <laughs> the point being, all right, back to... <laughs> Back to the story um, she references in her book. Her book. Um, it's called The Survival Story. And I'm a very visual person, so I don't um, necessarily think explaining it on a podcast is the best way to explain it. But I'm going to do my best. So I want you to imagine there are four people right? And they're separate from each other. (laughs) And we're going to travel back in time. Um, let's say a couple of thousand years ago, and we're going to not only travel back in time, but we're going to travel over the seas, depending on where you are, it might not be over the seas, but from Australia, it's over the seas. And we're going to South Africa, pretty proud of that South Africa no South Africa um that's pretty much all I can do in a South African accent (laughs) um oh there is actually one hang on um I did this saying once in a South African accent um what was it Oh, I think it was this one. Oh, that's right. 
Let's see if I can do it. When elephants fight, it is the grass that gets hurt. I think that was actually all right. Probably like 20% there. But anyway, the point being, we're going to South Africa. (laughs) Oh my goodness, this is my brain every day. Like imagine being me. That's my brain just like... Tangent, tangent, do do tangent, tangent, do do tangent. Um, all right, we've travelled back thousands of years. We've travelled to South Africa, South Africa, and we're in the middle of the jungle. And there's lions, tigers, bears. No, that's Wizard of Oz. There's lions, rhinos, elephants, hippopotamuses. There's Birds, antelopes, every possible jungle creature you can think of. And what we're most afraid of are the big five, which are elephant. (laughs) Let's see if I can get this without Googling it. Elephant, leopard, rhino, lion. And hippopotamus, elephant, leopard, rhino, lion, hippopotamus. I did it. Oh my gosh. And who would have thought that hippopotamus are deadly? Actually are. Oh no, I didn't even get it right. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Whoops. That's so funny. I thought I got it right. I just Googled it. Okay, so we got lion, leopard, Rhino, elephant, and buffalo. Damn it. Maybe the hippo sixth? I don't know. Anyway, I nearly got it right. Forgot about the buffalo. How could I forget? Anyway, back to. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Now I have to look up why hippos are not in the big five. Why is hippo not part of the big five? What? Anyway, sorry. I I digress. I digress. So we're in the jungle. Jungle in Africa. And... There's, we're playing the survival game, okay? So there's four people and we want to figure out which one survives. And we want to imagine the first person has no anxiety. Lucky bugger. Jeez, wouldn't that be nice? And this person is um, sitting by the fire, focus Lisa, with his family, right? And he's cooking some, let's say, antelope on the fire. And he's marinated it in the local herbs and spices. That probably didn't even happen back then. But anyway, um, he's cooking it on the fire. And lo and behold, in the, in the le jungle is a lion. And the lion smells the antelope cooking and thinks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That smells delicious. I want me some of that. And it starts to come out of the bush. Now, 
remember this mate, old mate, doesn't have anxiety. So you're thinking, mate, run. He doesn't have anxiety. Why would he run? He's not anxious. He doesn't have his fight, flight, freeze, fawn response inbuilt. All right. So he thinks, oh, pretty lion, you're so beautiful. And he thinks, I'd love to cuddle that lion. And the lion's already there eating his antelope and he's thinking, this has made me even hungrier. And he eats old mate. Yeah, sorry about it. So one of four, bow, bow, we got three left. Who survives? Um, the second old mate, he, same scenario, because this is what they do. They go out hunting, they come back, they cook the food, they eat, they go to sleep. Second old mate, he's got a little bit of anxiety. Now, for all of you out there that have a little bit of anxiety, it's not that bad, is it? Like, it's, it's you know, it's manageable. Um, so he's heard about these lion things. He's like, I think I know what a lion is. If I see one, I might know what it is. Don't know, whatever. He's a bit vague on it all, a bit vague on the whole thing. Um... People with a little bit of anxiety are generally going to be your freezers and your fauners, not your fighters and your and your flighters, all right? Freezers and fauners, not fighters and flighters. <laughs> I just come up with this stuff on the spot, like, man. Um, anyway, so remember that. He's more likely a freezer or a fauner. Now, if you are in the jungle and an line approaches and you're a freezer or a fauna what do you think's gonna happen <laughs> old mate's dead sorry but he's dead all right we're down to two the lucky number two now if you're pretty clever which a lot of my young people are that i tell this story to you might already guess how the story ends but don't ruin it for everyone else calm down charlie brown right second last old mate has like pretty much anxiety most of the time like I'm talking 90% of the time he is anxious yeah okay like ew who would want that same scenario like I said they hunt they eat they sleep that's it right and he is sitting by the fire with his family and He's on edge. He's like, I've read about these bloody lion things. They come out of the bush, they steal your tucker, and they then eat your family. All right. So he's on edge. Now, remember I said nine out of ten times. Clue is in the stats. Nine out of ten times, he gets up, he grabs his family, says, let's get out of here, and he throws his antelope at the lion, says, eat that, and he legs it, right? And he's got this little cave nearby, there's no leopards in the cave, don't worry. And he goes in the cave with the family and then he has this big rock he rolls over the front of the cave. Something out of an Indiana Jones movie. Anyway, he doesn't get eaten. But just rewind back for a second, ladies and folks. Remember we said nine out of ten times. What it happens on the tenth time. Old mate's like, oh man, I'm so tired of running into this bloody cave. Oh my goodness. Can you please just give me a break? And that tenth time, he thinks, oh, she'll be right, mate. Well, mate, she she ain't right. Your whole family just got eaten by a lion. And so did you. Now, this lion's getting mighty full now. He's eaten three people in the one night. 
gone around all the camps. <laughs> and he's like, who doesn't have anxiety? Because I'm going to eat them. Entree, main and dessert, folks. So you think he's a bit full by now, but seriously. Anyway, let's pretend it's now and a whole nother night, a whole nother three months later and the lion needs to eat again. Because I don't know if you know this, but they're not very good hunters. But for people with that anxiety, they're spot on. Um, last old mate, he is anxious all the time. He's an anxious wreck. Wreck! He's an anxious wreck. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so what do you think, guys? I bet you can guess. I mean, if all four of them died, it wouldn't be the best survival game story, would it? Yeah. So he's anxious all the time. He never lets his guard down. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. It's all he thinks about. He's always on edge. He's always like, oh, my God, that's fight, 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 fight. He's a fighter and a flighter, ladies and gentlemen, fighter and a flighter. Now, it wouldn't be helpful for him to choose fight in this situation, would it now? Because what's going to happen? Like, he's not a tiger and he's not another lion. He's a human being with flesh. Now, that flesh tears easily with some sharp, liney claws. So, it'd be stupid if he went, oh, I'm going to fight this damn lion. So, he is on edge 100% of the time. Never puts his guard down, ever. He gets to that cave time and time again. He rolls that rock over. He waits patiently. And he comes out when he knows it's safe. And he does that every single time. And guess what? He survives. Woo! Yeah. Finally, someone survives, you're saying, everyone. You're all out there like, oh. Come on, this is so morbid. Everyone's dying. <laughs> no, but he actually survives. So congratulations, old mate. You, you've survived from anxiety. Now, I can't ask you what the take-home message here is, ladies and gentlemen, but what do you think it might be? We need anxiety to survive. And that guy, old mate, in Africa thousands of years ago, is one of our ancestors. I know, right? I know. He's in your family. And you know why he's in your family? Because everyone else died. So none of those other people could pass on their no anxiety or their little bit of it or most of the time but not enough. So we got our anxiety from our ancestors. Thank you. I know, a bit rude of them really. But (laughs) that's how we're all here today. If we didn't have that 100% anxious ancestor, we'd be dead. We wouldn't be humans. So you can thank your ancestors for it. And you can come to realize it's here to help us survive. And we don't need it all the time, though. That's the key. And we have to realize that because there aren't lions walking the streets, I mean, unless you live in Africa... (laughs) No, but even then, like, there probably shouldn't be lions walking the streets. Um, Like, we create our own anxieties. Like, we then think people are judging us and we compare ourselves to other people. And that's just, again, coming back to that sort of, like, survival of the fittest. Like, the fastest, most anxious people got away from the lions, right? 
So then they've passed their genes on of anxiety and fast runners, right? So then basically you want to compare yourself to everyone else to make sure you're going to be with someone that's that's a prime athlete and highly anxious. No, that's not the point here. But the point being is that those of us that were the fittest back then have survived to produce offspring, to go on and produce more anxious offspring and so on and so forth. And that's why we still have anxiety to this day. And then we compare ourselves to other people because we want to be the best of the best. But the thing is, ladies and gentlemen, is that that is very, um, it's very old fashioned. And so is the phrase, ladies and gentlemen, can I add? It's not very diverse and I apologize actually for using that. Um, anyway, the point being, um, survival is pretty much a given nowadays. Like there are treatments for so many conditions and, We have great supports in place for people with disabilities and mental illness. And I mean, they could be much better, not going to lie, but like we have so much at our fingertips to be able to like live a good life and therefore we don't need to compare ourselves to other people. So just stop doing that. (laughs) Just stop that. It's silly. I still do it all the time. Like it's so normal and natural The thing is, we don't really have that much to be anxious about anymore. Anxiety does still protect us because like it, when there is actual real danger, it helps us to survive. So it does have a purpose. So just think of it this way, guys, you're not ever going to be a hundred percent rid of your anxiety and you never want to be because then you're not going to be aware of danger. And I know that there's not that much danger in our lives these days, but You just never know, okay? So just remember that your anxiety, a certain level of it is pretty normal. Past that can be like a clinically significant level of anxiety and that's something you need support for. Might be psychology, it might be meditation, might be medication. That's something I'll talk to you about next time. (laughs) Rather... Um, but look, just remember that, like, I think it's just something we don't talk about often enough, but a lot of people out there get anxious. A lot of us are thinking the same thing in the same context, but we don't talk about it. So we all think we're mental, but we are all mental. We're all mental together. But just like, I don't know about you, but I'll walk into like a shopping center and be like, oh my God, everyone's looking at me. I think we're all thinking that we're all not looking at each other because we think everyone's looking at us. So we're like, got our head down. You know, you can't prove that theory correct if your head's down. Look up, have a look. Is there anyone looking? Oh yeah, old mate over there and old love over there. They're looking. No one else is because they're too busy with their heads down thinking everyone's looking at them. It's actually a really good experiment. Anyway, just do you. Like honestly, just do you. Um, I had a few things I wanted to finish with today. So a beautiful young person I saw today, these were her words and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me sharing them. 
and it made my day. And she said, I hope you know that like you're the most supportive person in my life. And I don't know where I'd be without you. And you actually underestimate how much you help me. Isn't that just beautiful? Like, oh, made my day, made my week, made my year, made my career. <laughs> no, but like, oh, I love, I love that. So I had to share it. And another thing I wanted to share was I was talking to a colleague today and I just, I had this like idea in my head and I said it out loud and she was like, how many times have you said that? And I was like, never. And she was like, it sounded like you've explained that before and it was really cool. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So I need to repeat it. So I remember it because it was cool and I want to be able to say it again. But she was saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe like I've just been bitching about such and such or like, I just sound like a total bitch because I'm bitching. And I said, no, 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 you're venting. There's a big difference. I find when you're bitching about people, you're saying stuff about them that's actually like really mean. Like, oh my God, did you see Jennifer's hair the other day? It was disgusting. Like, you're just being a bitch. Like, that's what bitching is. You're being a bitch about someone else not because it's true or it needs to be said, but just because you're a bitch and you're probably saying it to make yourself feel better. Venting, on the other hand, is stating a fact, right? Like, oh my goodness, such and such did this and it was so annoying. And it's like actually annoying. Like if you surveyed people, they would agree that that's annoying, right? That's venting. And that to me is okay. And it's like, you got to get that stuff out, man. Like, honestly, otherwise you bottle it all up and you explode. But just keep that in mind. Bitching versus venting. Happy to do a whole episode on it because I can't think of anything more to say right now. But <laughs> the main thing is don't feel bad for having a vent. We all need to vent sometimes. And if someone has pissed you off, like that's different than just saying shit about someone because, yeah. You're a mean person. So just remember that, guys. And now I have to put this episode as explicit because I just said the S word. Anyway, oh, well, shit happens. <laughs> Hope you have a wonderful evening, morning, day, afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this. Have a fantastic week, weekend, rest of your week, start of your week, whatever, whenever. Just have a great time and... Be kind to yourself. Bye. Psych on the mic. Psych on the mic. Psych on the mic.